0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code
1: What's up on a Friday? Thank you for hanging out with us. I am Brian Scott Rippey. This is The Rebel Report with my co-conspirator, Colin Brister in what has been a rainy week in Oxford. I talked a little bit about that Wednesday. It hasn't stopped. I don't think it stopped raining since Sunday. Um, So you got that going on. Um, Ole Miss lost to South Carolina earlier in the week. You had a baseball game, kind of a busy time of the year right now with baseball and basketball going on at the same time. Um, We appreciate you joining us on a Friday, wherever you may be. Hope the weather is better than here um, today, we're going to get in some baseball. Ole Miss on Wednesday won a midweek game against Arkansas State, 15-3. to We'll get into some basketball as they transition into pretty much a must-win game at Georgia. We'll talk some Zion Williamson and what seemed to be the hot take heroine of the sports media landscape of the last couple of days after his injury on Wednesday night against North Carolina. And we'll also touch on the John Sumrall move to Ole Miss, I mean from Ole Miss to Kentucky, excuse me, because um, we didn't really talk about that much on Wednesday. Colin was out dealing with some stuff back home, and now he's back in the studio today. Though he seems a little bit sick. Yeah, man, I've had a little strep, had a little bout of the strep throat, but I'm good. I'm good. So we'll battle through it. But um, so what do you want to get into first? You want to do baseball? I reckon. Let's
0: start with baseball. It's most recent.
1: So Wednesday night, um, Mike Bianco doesn't do Johnny Holstaff games very often, but this was a case where it was certainly necessary Ole Miss beats Arkansas State 15-3, to the long awaited debut of Gunnar Hoagland and then you saw five more guys come in after him, all of which except for what everyone made their season debut except, or was it all it was everybody, it was everybody. I guess it was everybody that, that came in made their season debut so you saw a bunch of guys pitch, it was kind of a slow start for Hoagland, the offense obviously uh, picked him up You know, uh, Arkansas State was kind of overmatched on the mound against that offense, but I guess we'll start with Hoagland. He struggled out of the gates. He admitted he was a little – nerves kind of got to him at the yeah. beginning. He was kind of erratic. I mean, it's a kid that's – what, he didn't walk anyone his senior year of high school or he went – right. was it the whole season or did he go almost – walked anyone
0: the whole season. I think he only had two three-ball counts.
1: Point being, he lived – he's a guy that's lived in the strike zone, and you thought almost to a fault in college baseball. You thought maybe his flaw would be – and it, granted, he's only thrown two innings. And his, he would live too much in the strike zone and pay for it at this level – but he was a little erratic early on, particularly with the fastball. Um, but even so he gives up two runs before he records an out. Yeah. yeah. So he gives up two runs and then settles back in a little bit and gets three straight strikeouts to to end the inning and get out of the inning. My takeaway was yes, he was erratic at the beginning, but then he flips over three or four really good breaking balls, like plus breaking balls, where you're kinda of like, oh, okay, like that's that's kind of what you've heard about. That's what you've seen in this in the fall and winter. Um, you know, gives up another run in the second inning, but I thought he pitched better in the second inning. What were just kind of your overall impressions? Well,
0: I thought you know his ability to throw that change up in the strike zone was big, because um, look, he, I kind of know a little bit, and and I can tell you that the kid was uh, kid was nervous going out there. Uh, he told some people how nervous he was, which is crazy, considering the environments he's pitched in. Um, but you know, look. I thought the kid pitched really well after the first three or four hitters. He gives up the run in the second on kind of a BS hit. Uh, I, he's going to be really good for Ole Miss. His ability to to put ten point the fastball and the changeup that's that's the if you can effectively throw a changeup. Everybody talks about you know a hammer slider and that type of thing. If you can throw a changeup exactly where you want it, and it appears Hoglin can, uh, you're going to be a monster in college baseball. So I think the kid was really good. Ole Miss wanted to get his feet wet before he pitches on Sunday in New Orleans. I think Mike said he was going to pitch Sunday.
1: Um, Sunday, they're going. They're going. Phillips, Roth, Hogland.
0: Okay, so he'll go Sunday. You you don't want to you don't want your kid's first start to be on the road. So I mean, it was good for him to get out there and maybe work some nerves out. Maybe he doesn't feel that type of nervousness that he obviously had uh, in New Orleans on Sunday because they're going to need him to be good. It's you know I think Ole Miss is a lot better than Tulane, but winning on the road isn't. Uh, it's not going to be a cupcake series for sure. I think Tulane's a little better than they were last year, so yeah, Ole Miss will need to be good on Sunday. But you know, just overall, I thought he, I thought he was pretty good for his first, you know, timeout in college baseball.
1: So they get down two to nothing. Then they Ole Miss puts up a five spot in the bottom of the first. Tyler Keenan puts one in. I think the right field bullpen, if I'm not mistaken, I think it cleared it. Cleared it. Okay. So puts one out. That there's three run shot before they. What Ole Miss scored three runs before. Recording an out. No, I think they rec- they scored all five runs before anyone got out in that yeah. inning. But point being, they- Arkansas State was overmatched on the mound. This day to me was about two things it was who you saw on the mound, and it was Thomas Dillard making his first collegiate appearance behind the plate. I thought he was good. Yeah, and he got tested early. Hoagland dumped a couple breaking balls and a couple fastballs in the dirt within like the first three pitches. I actually <laughs> I asked uh, Dillard about that after the game. I was like, you didn't really get much, much time to much time before he got tested he was like no what there wasn't really much getting my feet wet like I had to block some stuff you know within the first couple pitches of the game Bianco thought he he did well too you know he said it's a it's a guy that's had experience doing that a lot of confidence but the you know he's caught in the winter and the fall you know the last couple of years but it's completely different doing it in a in-game scenario and I thought he did pretty well
0: yeah I mean look I don't think Ole Miss wants him to be their everyday catcher Um, I think if something was to happen to Cooper Johnson that Knox LaPoser would be the everyday catcher. But in saying that, it's nice that if you need to pinch hit for Cooper in the seventh inning of an SEC game, that he can go back there for two innings. Uh, And you're not going to really – I mean, he'll fall off a little bit because Cooper's elite defensively. But you have a guy that you can keep that kind of bad in the lineup uh, and stick somebody in left field. So I I think his ability to be able to catch Miss only adds versatility to a pretty versatile lineup that that maybe lets you get your best best offensive lineup uh, in a game when you know you maybe you need to catch up maybe you're down four to two and uh, you know uh, you're down four to two and Cooper comes up it may, maybe lets you hit uh, pinch hit a Michael Fitzsimmons for Cooper you can you can move Diller behind the plate and throw somebody like Elko or whoever in left field um, so I think his his ability to be able to – be able to catch it, uh, you know, at least an average SEC level is big for Ole Miss.
1: And barring an injury, Cooper Johnson's the everyday catcher, but I think it's a comfort factor for Bianco. He would rather not rely on a true freshman to be the backup catcher if he doesn't have to. Like, it seems like Mike wants – because he's made it clear since the winter that that, that Thomas Dillard is going to catch in a handful of games this season because Cooper's not going to catch every game. So I, I agree with your sentiment that obviously if something were to happen to Cooper Johnson, they're not going to make Dillard the everyday catcher. That's just not really – not really feasible, and really not really a fair ask for Dillard. But in terms of like a secondary catcher behind Cooper Johnson, when you need him, to need him for a day off, it seems Mike is more comfortable with Dillard back there than LaPoser or Hunter Neighbors.
0: Yeah, and you know, look, uh, Dillard is a guy that's going to get drafted this year, and his ability to show that he can catch it maybe at a at the next level was big for him. Um, if that bat plays as a catcher, that's different than that bat playing as a uh, left fielder. You know, so, you know, Ole Miss is probably wanting to get him some looks behind there for, for, you know, a variety of reasons, including, you know, scouts showing up.
1: The other big story from this was Hoagland's successor, Houston Roth, who also got two innings after Hoagland. Hoagland, I believe, threw 45 pitches in two innings. Roth comes in for his first work of the season, if you'll remember. Uh, The Tuesday or Wednesday before opening day, Roth falls off the mound, sprains his AC joint and his non-throwing shoulder. So this was his first action of the season. He had been throwing off the mound beforehand, kind of gotten some work. He said that was really one of the first times or maybe the first time that he threw completely pain-free. He allowed one hit, did not allow a run, struck out four, and walked one and two innings. Really efficient and really sharp. And I think the big thing is, he said, aside from some general stiffness, he didn't really feel any pain, and he felt everything felt natural to him. Well, it's his
0: non-throwing shoulder, so that helps. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think I think Houston is a guy that uh, for Ole Miss to be at its – to reach its potential, they're, they're going to need him to be really good in whatever role that uh, he plays, whether it's a weekend starter, it's the back end of the uh, bullpen. Um I think he's going to start this weekend, and I don't think – I think if he has a good outing, I think he stays in the rotation. I don't know who who gets sacrificed because of that. But uh, I think Houston is a guy that probably uh, deserves to start on the weekends at this point. And if he – I know I know that, you know, Mike had had him in the bullpen initially at uh, the media day, but he's going to get an opportunity this weekend. And, again, I think if, if he's he goes out there and throws up five innings, you know, one run, that type thing – uh, I don't expect to see him come out of the rotation for Ole Miss.
1: Well, and that's the thing from a sheer probability standpoint. Ole Miss just hasn't had many years where the opening day weekend rotation is the same weekend rotation at the end of the season. It changes. It's a fluid thing, whether it's injuries or guys not performing. What's
0: funny is, though, their best teams, it did. Uh, they stayed the same last year, and in 14, they uh, stayed the same. But you're right. They, they don't. They I mean, they don't usually have the same guy on opening weekend in the, as they do in the regional.
1: And just say perfect world, it does stay the same. Worst case scenario, when you get into a a, re, a deep into a regional, or I guess it doesn't really apply as much in a super. Or if they do end up making it all the way to Omaha, having a fourth starter when you're gassed on pitching of the caliber of Houston Roth yeah. is something that really not many other teams in the country have. If any, I mean Vanderbilt right. seems to pull kids off the street that throw ninety-five on the black. <laughs> so I mean, but you get my point. It's a luxury that Ole Miss has, you know, that kind of depth in the mound, and then. Really, after him, I thought the 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 guy that came in that was most electric was Doug Nikhazy, and I think he has, I mean, uh, you know, Thomas Dillard said after the game, he's, the kid just has electric stuff. If nothing else, he's going to be one of the best arms they have out of the bullpen. A left-handed freshman with electric stuff, good slider, good changeup. I, I thought he pitched well. He gave up a, what, I don't have the box score for me. He didn't give up a run. No, he gave up a couple of hits, but it, yeah. was, it were two kind of cue ball shots, cap shots off the end of the bat. One really hard contact. I thought he pitched really well. Of course, Ole Miss blows the game open in the fifth inning. It wasn't it wasn't really ever a matter after about the third inning whether they're going to win the game, but you got some guys in. The only guy that they, they wanted to get in but didn't was uh Parker Caracy. They had him up in the ninth, but Mike said 15-3 game. It's just kind of ridiculous to he put him in, in that Yeah, in that situation. So
0: I thought uh Jordan Fowler was good and he needed he probably needed
1: that. Yes, I think so too, because you're that's a guy that not necessarily I mean, at this point, his role is not defined. He's right. a left-handed arm that's probably going to come out of the bullpen. You thought originally at the like at the end of last season, you're thinking, okay, here's a guy that probably transitions in the weekend rotation. That that just didn't happen for him. Whether it was the new influx of talent versus him struggling a little bit, but it, you're right. From from Ole Miss's perspective, I think Mike Bianco was glad to see him pitch well. Um, kind of spinning it forward. Heading into this weekend, Ole Miss will be without Will Etheridge, who is still dealing with the lingering effects from a blister he suffered on his hand. Um, on opening day, it really kind of flared up in the fifth inning. He was at 82 pitches, came out of the game. They're not going to start him this weekend. Mike Bianco said he's he said he's not necessarily sure if it's the right terminology to categorize the blister as worse off, but it's something that they don't want to fight every single week, and he keeps re-aggravating it. So they're holding him out this weekend. So Ole Miss's rotation, Zach Phillips, is going to go on Friday Houston Roth will slide in on Saturday, as we mentioned a second ago, and then Gunnar Hoagland goes on Sunday. So, really off the bat for this series, Tulane, competent team, not great team, probably finishing the middle of the pack in the American. I mean, you know, decent team, but a, a team almost should beat. Not all, not, not, easy to win on the road, but starting off the weekend, it's, it's an important start for Phillips after what happened last weekend, and he wasn't. As we discussed on Monday's show, he wasn't necessarily bad last weekend, but things didn't go the way they wanted. He was not as sharp. So I, I guess what is what is a successful start for him this weekend, and what are there's probably two or three things he needs to do, and what are they? Well,
0: I mean, Ole Miss is going to if with Etheridge not being there, Ole Miss is going to need length out of that Friday guy. Uh, you can't you can't have your Friday guy go three and two thirds or something like that. They're going to need you know Phillips put up five or six innings, um, and to be able to you know look again like you said. Uh, We didn't think he pitched as bad as his numbers reflected on Saturday. But in saying that, there were some situations where he just didn't make the pitch to get out of it, and I think he needs to be able to show that. He needs to be able, when there's a guy on first and second and the third inning, man, just make the pitch, get the the ground ball to get out of the inning. Uh, You know, I think he can do that. He was really good. Uh, There's a reason he's starting on Friday night from us. I know Will Etheridge is out. There's a reason he was in the rotation last weekend. And it's because he dominated one of the best lineups in America throughout the uh, fall – well, not really the fall, but throughout the uh, early part of the spring. Uh, that's why he's in there. And, you know, I think it's I think it's a big start for him. Uh, we'll see. Uh, he, he, he needs to be good for Ole Miss. And, you know, I think it's a good matchup with him. Uh, I think Wright State is better than people give them credit for. Uh, he made some mistakes those first two innings, and they punished him. I think Tulane is a little bit behind Wright State from a uh, – know how good they are standpoint so i think phillips is going to have a better weekend and almost needs him to almost needs him to pitch into the sixth inning this weekend
1: then obviously roth going on saturday that's honestly if you're if you're looking at it from mike bianco and you're not filling out a lineup card because you do that on a daily basis but you're looking at it each game on on friday night before you know the series you honestly probably feel the best with roth going on saturday right the most comfortable because that's the most obviously the most experienced guy they got on you know in terms of this weekend in a vacuum And then obviously Hoagland on Sunday, who I think Hoagland's probably going to be pretty eager to get back out there and pitch better now that he's got the first start behind him. But another thing that's going to be interesting about this series is what Bianco does with this lineup. And really when we've, and we talked about this on the radio today and some yesterday, really when what you're talking about when you talk about the lineup is what happens at second base and what he does in right field. Because unless Cooper Johnson is getting a day off catching Thomas Dillards in left field, you would think Linux in center field but what happens at second base and what happens in right field and i guess designated hitters thrown into there a little bit i mean you think cockrell is going to be the dh because they're not going to put him in the field consistently Well, i
0: mean you whoever's gonna right field i mean between oakland and uh, cockrell right now it feels like whoever's in right field the other is a dh uh you know carl gindle got a start last night i don't really remember his numbers. And
1: he would have gotten the start Sunday if right. they had played.
0: Right. Yeah. He was in the lineup on Sunday. I can't remember if Elko or Cockerel was at TH. I can't remember. Um, but anyways, so yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, Jacob Adams deserves, you know, he was really good on Saturday in, in that loss. So he deserves every opportunity to
1: prove he can be on the field. So it's interesting you bring that up because what do you do? I mean, they're trading they have they're not a good defensive outfield. No. They're not, and Ryan O'Linnick is. Prob. I understand he's playing center field out of necessity, but he's probably better served as a corner outfielder. Absolutely. Well, what happens? Like, if you talk to some of the players and they've they said this and think in, in before the season that Anthony Servidio is one of the better outfielders they have, and he's probably going to end up being your starting second baseman, and if Jacob Adams keeps kind of putting quality at bats together and keeps up the production that he did had last year at the plate, like is that something you consider?
0: Um the thing is it's too early to uh to, to kind of do that to me. I think you get the guys that you need to get at bats at bats and, and do that. Um if this was the fifth week of SEC play and Adams is still producing, I think you move your video to center field. Um and you move Olenek to right, and if you know the right, you're not getting any production still. Because Elko's pressing right now; he's 0 for ten, 0 for
1: eleven, 0 for twelve, something like that. He's really looked like pressing is the right word. I mean, you 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 hit on it, but he he really stri- and it's a tiny sample size. We're yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about three games, but his first what is it, 11 something at bats, whatever it's, it is, it's at, not, it's somewhere over. around ten or eleven. Yeah, but he doesn't have a hit, and and he hasn't looked particularly good in yeah. those at bats. And the the one on Saturday with the bases loaded in the right state games, the one that sticks out, that was a that was not a good at bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, but that's kind of what I was saying. If you don't, and look, I, I still kind of believe in Tim Ocker. I think the talent wins out in the end. Um, but if you're not getting that production and you are from Jacob Adams, I'm not sure why you wouldn't make your outfield better putting Ceridio in center and Adams in second. But again, I think it's a little early for that.
1: Yes, this is all projecting yeah, way down the road.
0: Absolutely. I think, you know, Adams... People forget was really good last year for Ole Miss. Uh, On the non-hole, he played a really good second base. Um, And they're not just going to forget about him. You know, I think he deserves every opportunity to play kind of like these other
1: guys. Oh, and, and, and Mike would never admit this. But don't you think last year, he platooned him early in the year, and he's not scared to platoon people for yeah. an extended period of time, but don't you kind of figure he was just waiting for Servidio to beat him out? And that never really happened, and that's not necessarily... Servidio as a freshman, had some adjusting to do at the plate, yeah. as most kids do when they come to college, but to Adam's credit, it was more of what he was doing than what Servidio wasn't doing. He just never went away. He's an undercover quality at Bat Machine. Yeah,
0: he had a 390 OBP. I
1: don't even nine. know it's undercover.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean... He's a really good 9 hole for Ole Miss last year, and so I, I mean, look, Anthony Servidio's upside. I, I don't think this is arguable. Is higher than Jacob Adams. I don't. I don't think that's a argument that uh, anyone's willing to make that it's not
1: better defender at second base. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Uh, he would. Don't you think if if, if he puts if Servidio's in the outfield, he's probably the best outfielder already. No,
0: I think he's absolutely the best outfielder. Uh, maybe besides Kendall.
1: Uh, that's they, fair.
0: Yeah, but you know, but Kendall started one game, and again, I don't really remember what he did yesterday, but. Um, you know, I think if Ole Miss is going to be really good defensively, that either Carl Gendel or Anthony Servideo is going to have to play the outfield for them.
1: I would agree with that because you're going to need some semblance of defense and speed at one of those positions. Right. And you don't have it at the – I mean, Rondo Lennox a pretty good athlete. but He's not gone. Yeah, not a great outfielder. And then obviously you, you know why Dillard's in the outfield. Yeah, he hits 400. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, So, I don't know. There's going to be some interesting things to watch, and that's kind of what this entire non-conference slate is about. And and Bianco hasn't been bashful about saying that. Like, this non-conference thing is to figure out the best lineup or one of two or three different lineups that he can kind of go with semi-regularly and to figure out the bullpen rolls. That's really what this is about. Right,
0: because they're good enough to just win. Like, the offense last night was never going to let them lose that game. Uh, no matter what they did from a pitching perspective. So the offense being good enough for them to figure out what they want to do on the mound is is really an added bonus for this team.
1: So switching gears, we'll go to basketball now. Ole Miss has a really important game against Georgia this weekend. We touched on it a little bit earlier in the week. You know, A frustrating loss at South Carolina, a loss on the surface that doesn't hurt you, but it trims their margin for error a little bit. And Georgia lost a game in a wild fashion, kind of, against State. State.
0: Q's making the second free
1: throw. Probably. Yeah, he's making it. Probably, but the fact that someone chucks a teddy bear.
0: Okay, here's my thing, just for that on a second. If you're an opposing team, do you just hire one of your fans?
1: Gary Parish made this point the other night. Do you just go
0: throw some teddy bears at uh, at your players when they're shooting late in the
1: game? So for those of you that didn't see it, Georgia was playing Mississippi State on Wednesday night, and it was, Georgia made a, what state was up seventeen state at some point was, in yeah, the second half? Three. Georgia hits a three at the end of the game to tie it up. There's six, five or six seconds left. Georgia fouls Q yeah, Q Weatherspoon at the top of the key, just inside the three hard. point line. It be hard to foul the other one. Yes, that's very true <laughs> at this point. Uh, as as Nick Weatherspoon is suspended. Uh, but point. So they. So it's a tie game with a couple seconds left. Georgia fouls Weatherspoon. At the top of the key, just inside the three-point line on a jump shot. Say what you want about the foul call. You can't really foul. Yeah, you can't. I mean, it looked like he got a lot of ball, but he may have got him on the arm. It was hard to tell, but you can't foul a jump. You've got to contest the shot without even coming close to fouling. So anyway, Weatherspoon's on the free throw line needing to make one of two to essentially win the game because there's a half of a second left. He misses the first one. Someone in the stands chucks a teddy bear. (laughs) At him. And I, I'm not making this up. Chuck's a teddy bear in his general direction. It lands on the floor. To Howland, Ben Howland's kind of shrewdness and credit, he immediately stands up off the bench and goes, that's a technical what's going on here. I'm not a good lip reader, but you can clearly see that's what he's saying. The referees gather up. What's they,
0: funny is that teddy bear had no impact on the shot.
1: No, it didn't at all, but this was his technical assessed on the crowd. Is that how that works? Yeah. Yeah. So a technical foul on the crowd, <laughs> and Weatherspoon gets an additional free throw in a... a like adding on top to the second one he would have gotten, he makes one, misses the third well, one that, intentionally. That's
0: the well, that's what uh, you know. Kind of, I don't want to say screws Georgia, but he was allowed to miss the second where one where they couldn't so set, they set couldn't anything up. It, and it's just a
1: heave. Still half a second, half a second. There's a hard, there, There's not many. Full court plays you can draw with a half a second. No, now, one and a half seconds—that's a different story because right. you can tip. You know, you can throw. You can do the the jump ball where he t- flips yeah. it to somebody on either or you can wing. Do the
0: thing where you catch it at half court and call time out.
1: Yes, that's true too. So half a second, not a whole lot you can do. So Georgia loses another tough <laughs> game after losing a close home game last weekend against. LSU and to their credit, you know, they battled some adversity, some self-inflicted by their coach just trashing them after they lost to Ol- Well, that was after Ole Miss a couple weeks ago. And these kids weren't good enough. And they haven't quit. To their know, credit. I would have quit. Yeah, they have not quit. They've played two tough games, so it's a game Ole Miss should win. Georgia is what? 1 and 11, 1 and 12 in the SEC. 1 12 cuz it's 13. 1 and 12. Um bad. they have as you can tell from what we just you know, kind of recap, they have lo- They've found a lot of ways to lose games, um, but they have not quit. And it's a game Ole Miss is, it's just, it's a weird to call it a swing game, but it is. Because, and I outlined this a little bit on Wednesday's podcast, you win, if Ole Miss wins, they're 9-4. and 9-5. 9-5, and five, excuse me. They need to win one out of their last four games.
0: And, and Arkansas has quit, by the way.
1: So yeah, they they they, quit. they they scored one point in a lot of minutes against <laughs> Auburn the other night. So, but if Ole Miss wins the game, they're nine and five. And ge- the general consensus is ten wins in the SEC gets you into the NCAA tournament, no questions asked. Nine, if it was as weak as the bubble is. Shout out to the Pac-12 for being a one bid league. Nine probably. Maybe get you in, but you're sweating it heading into Nashville, and you have work probably to well, be done in Nashville to polish it off.
0: The uh, pack, the packs has got them two now. Washington's done solidified themselves.
1: Well, no, that's their only. That's their only bit. The, the Washington's
0: only way it's like an AT right now,
1: though. They are, but who else? Arizona State, well, maybe. So if
0: Washington doesn't win Does, the tournament,
1: yes, it is, two. it is two. But so Washington won't win the tournament. But point being, that is right. why the that is we, yeah that is why the. The bubble part of why the bubble is as weak as it is. So nine probably gets them in. Yeah. So but ten, you go to Nashville, you don't have any work to do. The Ole Miss has an NCAA tournament bid in its pocket right. with ten wins. So now Saturday would get them to nine. And their schedule is
0: after that it's it's uh
1: Tennessee and then at
0: Arkansas, Ken- Kentucky, and then you finish at Missouri.
1: So you have two home games against Kentucky and Tennessee and two road games against Arkansas and Missouri. Yep. So on the flip side, if you win that, you feel pretty good about going to either Arkansas and Missouri and winning one or if not both of those. They have a good chance at both because both those teams have really struggled. But still, winning on the road is a, is an entirely different beast in the SEC. And you're probably not counting on getting a home win against Tennessee or Kentucky, though it's not completely impossible. Tennessee's not playing well. They are not, but they are a they veteran team that's them. better, particularly inside, than Ole Miss. So... On the flip side of it, if you were to screw up and you lose, if, if Ole Miss were to slip up and lose to Georgia, one, that's a bad loss because Georgia's sitting in the 120s in the net, and if when they show Ole Miss's NCAA tournament resume during broadcast right now, it's pretty much three quality wins. It's Baylor, it's Mississippi State, It's sometimes they show Auburn twice, yeah, Auburn, twice. Auburn twice, someone showed Butler not too long ago, I'm not sure where that came from, but... Under the bad losses, there is a nothing. Because they don't have any bad losses. this is
0: their last chance, for one.
1: Missouri. Well,
0: Missouri on the road's different.
1: That's true. That's true. So, they don't have any bad losses. Point being, this would be a bad loss. And then it changes the complete dynamic of how you look at your path to getting to the NCAA tournament if you're Ole Miss before getting to Nashville. Right, because now Ole Miss is looking at probably needing to win two road games or upsetting Tennessee or Kentucky at home. Neither one of those is really an easy challenge for them, although they have been a good road team. So, you know, it's a big game for Ole Miss. I mean, it is a must win. You'll call it what it is. Yeah. Joel, Ole Miss should tear, just like they did in the game a couple of weeks ago. Ole Miss has the advantage in the backcourt Georgia has very, very poor guard play. Georgia is one of the best reboundings, yeah. if not the best rebounding teams oh, yeah, in the yeah, SEC. Yeah, yeah. Claxton are really good. Yes, they are. And they have, as Colin alluded to, two good big men that can eat them up inside. They're going to need Bruce Stevens or Dominic Olenicek or, in Kermit Davis's mind, preferably both, to play well and play consistently and stay out of foul trouble, which is what killed them at South Carolina. So if Ole Miss can do that, if they can get sufficient, which has kind of been the story of their season, if they get sufficient post-play... They're going to have a chance to win most games because they have an advantage against most teams in the league in terms of guard play. So, important game for Ole Miss. Um, in addition, for the simple fact you need to bounce back from a road loss in South Carolina, and they probably don't want to let that beat them twice. So, it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, Kermit Davis had a media opportunity today. KJ Buffin is questionable with an ankle injury. You know, what does that mean? That means probably. He's going to be a little more reluctant to take Blake Kenson off the floor. Yeah, and you can see Terrence Davis slide to the yeah. four potentially if they go really small. So it's something that Ole Miss could more than likely survive. You know, and it should likely survive and beat them without them. But you know, a thin. T- we've, it's been well documented how this team lacks depth. So any any time Ole Miss has been down, is down a body. It's it's more significant to them than other teams, and they've been fortunate on the injury front this year. The only one they've had is Devontae Shuler, right. who it's a wear and tear thing, and he's largely been able to play through it, and, and seemingly has moved past it at this point. Um, but it is kind of a day to day thing, so it's an important game. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's a. I'll just call it what it is. It's a
1: must win. Uh, you you lose it, you're
0: probably a ten or a, yeah, probably a ten seed with work to do. You win it. You're one win away from locking it up if you haven't locked it up. So yeah, you're you're exactly right in calling it a swing game um, because it determines what you need going forward. Uh, it's not a really hard road if you win it. It's a pretty hard road if you lose it.
1: Yeah, and it's just the fact that they it, 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 they've they've sustained. I I thought this team in mid January was going to fade and regress back towards not necessarily, obviously they weren't going to finish last after the first couple games of the SEC season you saw that be,
0: be hard to be hard to finish with zero
1: yes i vandy's i getting yeah vandy's vandy's running the table in reverse but i thought they were going to regress back um during that four game losing streak back towards what most people thought they were and prognosticated they'd be at the beginning of the season to their credit after that four game losing streak in late january they rattled off four in a row and yes the schedule was tre tough during that stretch but I just kind of thought it was them regressing back to the mean and so just the, my point being is the sheer fact that they're in this position with an opportunity in late February to get an NCAA tournament bid is a credit to what Kermit Davis has done with this team because as we discussed on Monday he took a team that's mentally that was mentally fragile that quit a season ago They've turned into a pretty good road team and he's gotten every single player essentially to turn into the best version of themselves. Well,
0: the thing that kind of showed you the toughness of them and and they lost the game at South Carolina and a loss is a loss, is a loss. They played like crap for 20 minutes. And they were tied with six left. They they had a chance with six left and uh you know that that doesn't happen a year ago. They play like crap for 20 minutes on the road a year ago they're down 25. Uh and I have proof. So you know that that's kind of the thing is just how You know, this team's mindset has just changed so much from a year.
1: Yeah. And they're, they're, I struggle to call them an interesting team should they get in the NCAA tournament. They are in the sense that, you know, the cliche goes guards win in March. They have three really good guards that could carry them. And especially, particularly if they get hot scoring the basketball, namely Terrence Davis, Bree, and Tyree. But at the same time, if they run into a team that is above average to excellent in the post, That's going to be tough for
0: them. I mean, uh, try to think of somebody like that.
1: I mean, honestly, in some ways, I know Shamari Ponds gets all the credit at St. John's, but they're a tough, like, I mean. Yeah, you don't want to see
0: Maryland and Bruno either. Yeah.
1: Bruno's a bad boy. Uh, Ole Miss could, uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they do get in the NCAA tournament, who they draw. Um, And that's obviously a a long way down the road because they do have work to seal seal that off and and plenty of it to do. So, you know, that really kind of sums up that game. I mean, it's a game Ole Miss should win. It's a game they really, they really need to win. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they come out. If they kind of step on George's necks early, or they let him hang around, because that's really what, what, what could really get them into some trouble. So, you know, that's really what's going on on the Ole Miss front this weekend. The last piece of news, really, and it's not even news at this point because it happened what on Tuesday. John Sumrall linebackers coach at Ole Miss leaves to go to Kentucky where he played football lettered for three years. Um, he was really the only sought after assistant on this staff in terms of being recruited to go elsewhere. A lot of that is obviously there. They cha- Ole Miss changed both coordin- coordinators, but he was, he was the biggest asset in terms of position coach on their staff. Probably not even, not even really close. Yeah. Um, it's not a shocker he went to Kentucky. That's his home. Um,
0: I'm sure they gave him more money than Ole Miss did, and it is what it is, man. You know, Summerall's a really good recruiter. He's their best recruiter. I thought he did a pretty decent job with the linebackers this year. Um, but, you know, it's a tough. It's it's not tough. It, it's tough to lose your best recruiter, but it's an assistant coach. Ole Miss will fill him. My, Matt, to his credit, Matt Matt deserves some of the criticisms he gets, but to his credit, has done a really good job hiring assistant coaches. So uh, you know, I'm sure he'll hire a fine linebackers coach, and almost will be fine.
1: The thing I've observed about Matt is it's easy to prog- it's easy to kind of predict whether one of his hires is going to be a failure or success. But to me, the organization, the planning, and the process of how he's gone about the coaching hires has been much cleaner and much more concise than his predecessor. Who well, his
0: predecessor didn't know anybody, so that kind of hurt him.
1: That is true, and he was um, and Hugh Freeze. That's part of it, and Hugh Freeze kind of lacked a general plan at all, and there's. Two coordinator hires after the 16 season really stick out when when saying that and so you think
0: hiring Wesley McGriff who'd never been a DC and a FCS offensive coordinator you, you didn't you thought that wasn't gonna work out
1: yeah so that you know to, to, to Luke's credit he's been more organized because you, know, you look at the defensive coordinator hire they really never got an answer. There's always dispute as to whether they actually got an answer from Pete Golding, but he went, so they went, anyway, my point being, plan A went didn't work out. He right. immediately goes to a respectable plan B and Mike right. McIntyre. The offensive coordinator search labored a little bit, but he still settled on a guy that's one coach of the year before. Yeah. And a, I think
0: he runs exactly what Matt wants to do, too.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, be that as it may, I mean, everything that Whatever you want to say about Matt Luke's tenure, he's done a decent job putting together a staff. And a guy that hasn't had a lot of experience kind of put his ego aside and, and brought in a couple guys that have had coaching experience. So, you know, they bring in Tyrone Nix. that, you know, he's the, I mean, he got named linebacker's coach right after Summerall left. Obviously, the hire was. Was reported and made news before Sumrall left. So one more opening on the staff. I wonder what direction they go with that. They
0: hired Tyrone in in place of Jason Jones.
1: Yes, and he was going to be the outside linebackers guy in the three four. Coach
0: the uh, secondary.
1: Right, and they would have had with with Jones. They would have had three secondary guys on staff. Mac didn't need that. So where where do you think they go with this next? Is it defensive line or is it linebackers? Oh, it's, it's somewhere in the front they're seven. They're hiring a linebackers coach because they're running a three-four, so you need, you, you, when you have
0: four linebackers, you need two linebackers coaches. So they're, they're going to hire a linebackers coach. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do, but yeah, I think it's going to be a linebackers coach for sure.
1: Yeah, and the the sense that I got was that I think Summerall probably saw a little bit more – up. Op- I mean, this part of this is common sense with taking a new job. He saw, saw more security and more – A quicker opportunity to advance upward, I think, at Kentucky. So, you know, it was you know it's it's a it's a significant loss for Ole Miss, but one that's not entirely surprising. I don't think he would have. I mean, it was it was kind of proof that he wasn't just going to jump it anywhere. No, because I mean, people don't look at Ole Miss's coaching staff right now and look at Ole Miss jobs and think, oh man, job security. They probably think more towards the opposite. But. I thought it was telling that Sumrall did not go with Neil Brown to West Virginia. Yeah, so, yeah. so he he wasn't just looking to jump ship anywhere. Kentucky a good opportunity for him. It makes a lot of sense on the surface. It makes sense beyond the surface. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Ole Miss will be fine. They'll hire a good uh, uh, outside linebackers coach. I think Nick's is coaching inside. Um, look, I mean, it's your alma mater. I don't know if you know that's a big deal to him, but you know, to some people it is. I think he's making 500k a year. I think he was making 350 at Ole Miss, and Ole Miss probably would have matched that. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think he woke up one day and was, you know, we got to get out of Oxford. I think
1: it just kind of happened, and it was his alma mater, and he took a new job. Elsewhere, the as I mentioned earlier, the I've I referred to this on our sh- on the radio show today as the hot take sports culture heroine because it brought together. All of the things that people love to debate, Zion Williamson and amateurism, (laughs) it was just a perfect storm. So if you didn't see last night, which I'm assuming most of you did, or excuse me, last night, Wednesday night, um, Zion Williamson, first 30 seconds of a game, blows through his Nike shoe trying to cut in the high post. No, but to me... Like, everyone was like, Darren that being the nerd that he is, was like, terrible look for Nike or whatever. I was like, like dude, this guy's a behemoth. He blew through a shoe. Like, I wasn't sitting there thinking, this is a faulty shoe. I was like, this guy's an ogre. That's what I was thinking. can run. Because you, you saw that picture a couple weeks ago that went viral, where Zyron is gripping the basketball so hard that there are indentions in the basketball. So if a guy has that kind of raw strength, is it really the shoe's fault? <laughs> Got to make better shoes for Zion, I guess. I mean, Gotta make, make them out functions. of steel? I don't know what you do, but that was my reaction. Everyone's like crapping on Nike. and it was like, terrible look. I bet their stock's dipping. I was like, I, I don't think that, I-, I don't, I mean, like you said, I think you have to make special shoes for that guy because, my God, the strength well, on it. He's
0: 6'10 and runs like a gazelle, man. I mean, yeah.
1: And when he jumps, it looks different than than when the, other the people jump.
0: Virginia is by far the most athletic play that, that I've seen this year in college basketball.
1: So he gets hurt, he leaves the game, everyone freaks they out. It did look bad. It it, it did look bad. I, I was surprised. It, it later got diagnosed as a knee sprain, so all uh, most of this hysteria was for nothing. But it did look bad at the time. He does not return. Duke looks completely lost. They had a horrible night shooting the basketball, but they looked lost offensively without him. And Carolina really didn't even play that well. I mean, their, their upperclassman Luke May, was really good. But Little was not that good. And they were, what, two of something from three-point range? Like, North Carolina didn't play lights out. It was more just Duke didn't know how to recover. Well, Duke could
0: make a shot.
1: That's tough. And you're going to have nights like that in college basketball where there's nothing falling. But the thing is, is when you go three of 20, you got to get – I mean, they – I mean, they have Marcus Bolden, they have R.J. Barrett. Like, get to the, I understand that Carolina's playing a Zoom, but get to the rim. Find other forms of offense, Manufacture offense. Get fouled. Go to the free throw line.
0: I've never seen a Duke team not be able to shoot, but this team cannot shoot.
1: No, they can't shoot. And that's going to be their one fatal flaw in March because yeah. if they're not making jump shots, particularly three-point shots, at just a sufficient level. And if they do what they did last night to where they don't, they look lost as to how they can find other more consistent, you know, forms of offense in the half-court offense, they're going to be in trouble. What I was surprised with mostly, and I didn't catch a lot of this game because I was at a four-hour midweek baseball marathon, I was surprised that when they weren't making jump shots, they didn't do a ton, and part of this is North Carolina kind of likes to play fast too, they didn't ratchet up the pace and try to manufacture easier baskets in transition and kind of rattle North Carolina defensively by creating turnovers. They just kind of let them dictate like the game. They, they did. And they didn't do more of that, so I I was surprised by that. But back to our, I guess, kind of the larger point of this, it sparks a outrage, hysteria, debate as to whether Zion Williamson should, you know, play the rest of the season, whether he should sit out, you know, the sham that is amateurism. I I think from a sensibility standpoint, multiple things in this thing can be true at one time. Yeah. Does he owe Duke anything? No. no. Does he have anything left to accomplish no. in college basketball? No. But he should do whatever he wants. He wants to do. If the kid wants to come back and, and try to win a national championship and continue to play because that's yeah. what's important to him, do it. If he doesn't, fine. And people should be okay with it either way.
0: Yeah, that's going to be the thing is he's not going to sit out. Like, if you listen to this kid kid talk, he's not going to just walk away from Duke. Um, someone asked him about, you know, sit before he got hurt, you know, would you consider sitting out, consider you got you're the number one pick? He said, you know, no, I, I enjoy playing with these guys too much or something to that effect. He's going to play. That being said, I would totally understand him hanging it up and getting ready for the NBA draft because, man, $40 million is a lot of money. And that's what he's looking at, you know, here in about three months, four months, whatever. Um, but, you know, it's 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 interesting debate. But, yeah, he should do whatever whatever he feels like doing is what he should do, and he shouldn't be held – You know, in a a bad light, if he decides, you know, he does want to sit out. Again, he's not going to do that, though.
1: No, and, like, I don't watch all these... Like, this is the kind of stuff, to me, that gets Skip Bayless all hot and bothered in the morning. Like, he was probably absolutely jacked up to come in. Nobody saw it. Yeah. I mean, between, like, five minutes... Like, taking a five-minute break from debating MJ and LeBron, Skip Bayless got to debate Zion Williamson (laughs) and amateurism. So he had a probably a hell of a day. But my point, like... Like, it's just, you see people talking about, like, DeMar- DeMarcus Cousins was asked about it, I guess, at the Warriors shoot-around day, and he said the NCAA is BS, you know, it, it would be stupid, I think he said it would be stupid for him to, to keep playing, or he has no reason to keep playing, and while all of this may be true, like, if he does well, like first, to keep first, playing, first. you can't go with the, oh, it's a bad business decision take, there's something to the fact that he doesn't want to quit on his teammates, yeah. he, he wants to... You know, it's important to me. Wants to win a national championship. I think that's admirable. I don't think that's a foolish business decision because you could get hurt doing anything.
0: Right? No, I mean, it's not. It's not foolish for him to go play basketball. But in the same light, you would totally understand it if he did it. Like you know, I. I think people get. uh, I think people have too many opinions on things they're not educated enough about.
1: Uh, Yes, and you know, it's amplified that. Twitter. Twitter gives – or social – I say Twitter. Twitter's the main club, but social media just gives everyone a chance to just broadcast their opinion. Like you mentioned, a lot of times it's not that educated, and it's like they expect people to listen to him. So people had, got all up in arms. People debated about it. In the end, it was a knee sprain. He's day-to-day. He might play Saturday. I doubt it, but – He wouldn't play if I was the coach. He's probably going to play within the week, right? I mean, Saturday within two weeks. fun, though. What what are they who do they play Saturday? Uh,
0: Syracuse had a little bit of drama
1: today. Oh yeah, that was That's unfortunate. if you don't know what we're referring to, Jim Bayheim driving on the interstate last night and I think it was bad weather. Yeah. Um hit a bystander whose car was broken down on the side of the road and killed them, which was a horrible situation. I admittedly I have not read up on this as much as I should have today because I saw the headline when I was in class earlier. Um Or yesterday, uh, excuse me. I did, I did. It's it's adult type stuff. Um, (laughs) I actually mentioned on Wednesday's show that if I were an undergrad and didn't have like a job and responsibilities to do afterward, I would have looked at the weather outside and been like, "Nope, popping in a movie (laughs) and probably not like getting out of sweatpants today." But anyway, I saw it. Terrible situation. I don't. It didn't look like any. They didn't know how fast anyone was going, or anything like that. Yeah, but no, like alcohol or like no. anything involved like no, that. But
0: mentioning you know, they're playing Syracuse, that zone. You know Syracuse beat them. And,
1: and they did. They Durham. beat them in Cameron.
0: Yeah, in Cameron, not Durham. But yeah, um, I guess.
1: It's, yeah. No, it is right. Cameron's that's just yeah. we were saying it, two Duke different versions. Of the same Duke is Durham. Yeah, um, uh, and they're North Carolina is Chapel Hill. They're all sure. Tobacco Road. It's all the same it's thing. Like four miles
0: apart. They can walk.
1: Uh, yeah, and so, yeah, that'll be an interesting matchup, particularly if, if Williamson is not able to go. But that was honestly one of the games that he was most frustrated in because he didn't he didn't have as much space to operate inside. Because Syracuse plays a 2-3 zone, but it is not your go-up-to-the-rec-league 2-3 nah. zone. It is intricate, and the principles of Bayham's 2-3 zone and how they play it are different. And he didn't have a ton of space to operate in the middle, and that was really one of the few teams that was able to frustrate him a little bit. Yeah.
0: Um, so that'll be interesting for them on Saturday, especially if he is out. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I tell you what, they they lose on Saturday to Syracuse, and Virginia is going to win the ACC.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to. I was this internet's not working great, but I was trying to pull up the college basketball schedule on Saturday. What are like the like what are the marquee games? Because we're running out of weekends of college basketball. One in Baton Rouge. Enjoy it while you can. That's right, uh, Tennessee LSU this weekend. Boy,
0: LSU was looking ahead last night, weren't they?
1: Uh, yeah, that was a giant. So LSU. Wednesday night loses to uh, Florida. Florida. Was that game in Baton Rouge? That I mean, that's the win that probably gets Florida into oh, the yeah, NCAA tournament. The Gigantic game. win for Mike White. You figured LSU'd probably drop one like that. Yeah. Um. Because
0: LSU, it's funny they they've lost two SEC games and they're both in Baton Rouge to Arkansas and Florida.
1: Yeah, two of them. Well, yeah, it's it is interesting, but that. That sums up LSU in some ways. Is like they're really good when they want to be good, and then some nights it's just kind of like, this team has incredible amounts of they're athleticism but no real direction.
0: There. I don't really know if they're that well coached.
1: The epitome of them was that game against Arkansas where it's a one-point game with a minute left, and Tremont well, Waters tries to throw it an it oop. From half-court. Yeah, from half-court. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was watching well, waters that game when, last
0: night. Shoots a just a horrible three to try to tie the game with 12 seconds left. Just jacks it up, and you could tell Wade was about to lose his mind.
1: It it he, it doesn't look at times. I, and credit for Wade for getting all those kids there and getting them to play at an elite level, but it doesn't look at times how that he has full control of that Man, team. Man, I
0: can coach Nas Reed.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, okay. I mean, they, there's what? Go get the ball. At least three, probably four pros on that team. Is waters a pro. His size, he's 5'10", and he's not a good enough shooter to... He's a good shooter. He's not a good enough shooter to overcome the you know size. He's not, so
0: He's not shooting like Nate Robinson did.
1: No, but he'll make a heck of a lot of money in an upper-tier yeah. league in he's, Europe. He in he's a pro. He's not an NBA pro, <laughs> more than likely, but you never know. So that's about all we had on the docket for today. Um, we appreciate you listening to the first week of the Rebel Report podcast. We promise we'll continue to get better as we go. We'll have some guests lined up next week and do some different things, but we appreciate you listening to us. Do you have anything else? I'm good, man. Cool, cool. Well, we hope you all have a good weekend. Enjoy the basketball. Enjoy the baseball if you're headed to a game this weekend or if you're watching on television. And we'll be back with you Monday morning. Y'all have a fantastic weekend.